tonight on the Midnight Quarantine Train with Proper Social Distancing Podcast. We discuss the mysterious Bermuda Square. That's right. I said square. Because originally it was a square until Chuck Norris Roundhouse kicked off one of the corners. The more you know. So sit back, tighten your face mask, wash your hands, then grab a drink and turn the volume to 11. Only if you have just used antibacterial soap or hand sanitizer. All aboard. Passengers, welcome to the quarantine edition of the Midnight Train Podcast, where we bring the dark to light. What's that mean? Well, you guys know what it means. We make fun of and joke about creepy shit while bringing you as much information on each topic as possible. I am your host, the conductor of the cryptic, Jonathan Sayer, and with me is my co-host, who's in his house, because we're all quarantined, the engineer of the underworld, Jeff Butchko. What's up, buddy? Hey, I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm putting funny gifts in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, just so you guys know, uh, as you guys probably oh, all know, they're shit. listening right now. There's all this quarantine stuff going on. And uh, we decided that we were going to try something new. So we're all at our individual houses and we're going to try and record this. <laughs> social distancing. <laughs> we are social distancing hard right now. And of yeah. course, our producer on the other end, the new guy, Mr. Moody. How are you today, buddy? I'm wonderful. How are you guys doing? (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm good, man. Um, Definitely trying to avoid people because yuck right now. So this is what we're doing today. So it should be a lot of fun. We're Um, being responsible. (laughs) Stupid at the same time. (laughs) If that's what you want to call it. Oh, man. All right, so as most of you know, we're just a bunch of goofballs and assholes that love history and can't get enough of the mysterious. We want you all to know how much it means to us that you're listening to this podcast. Your reviews and support really do make all the hard work worthwhile. All right, so let's turn down the lights, adjust our seats, grab our masks and our sanitizer, and uh, let's get spooky. But first, here's a toast to all of you. Awesome. All right, passengers, as we pull out of the train station, we hope you have a backup of your beverages. And if you need a neck pillow or blanket, Evan will be around shortly to make sure you're nice and cozy. As we speed through the channels of space and time, please keep all body parts inside the train. We don't need another Stephen King episode incident, if you know what I mean. Maybe that's what actually happened to Riley. Just kidding. Oh. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Who's Riley, (laughs) by the way? Huh? Who is Riley? I don't know that name. I don't either. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, I don't know that guy. Wait, I think that's my son, isn't it? I don't know. Do you have one? Nah, I don't know. I I could have a few of them. (laughs) 
I thought you had to have sex to have kids. This is true. So no, he's not mine. Anyway, as we pull into our first stop, you'll see that it's wet. Why is that? Well, it's September 1950, and we're in Miami, Florida, (laughs) and it's hurricane season. Not just any hurricane season, though. It's actually the first season in the Atlantic Hurricane Database that storms were given names in the Atlantic Basin. Names were taken from the Joint Army-Navy phonetic alphabet with the first name. (laughs) What? Nothing. Are you guys doing gifts back and forth? <laughs> yes. Stop yeah, it. <laughs> this is a bad idea. So the first name Storm was actually called Abel. The second was Baker and so on. You see how that goes. It was an active season with 16 tropical storms, storms and 11 of them developing into hurricanes. Six of these hurricanes were so intense, they were classified as major hurricanes, a title reserved for storms that attained sustained winds equivalent to a uh, category three or greater on the present day Saphir Simpson scale. Now, the Saphir Simpson's hurricane wind scale, formerly the Samson Simpson hurricane scale, was a drug dealer that almost <laughs> killed three harrowing men who set out selling marijuana in order to raise money to free their incarcerated friend who sadly fed caramel popcorn to a diabetic police horse, causing its untimely death. <laughs> it was a horrible time. He's and not I- laughing at <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> and I, I just—I don't want to talk about it, guys. I don't want to. I talk know, about I know. It. It's a horror. I wish we could. Can we? Can we do screenshots of this on our Facebook page? So <coughs> you know, yes, of they course. Can see what's going on. <laughs> on, a, on a side note, though, I really, I really was laughing because I just—I was picturing that scene in the movie. Samson Simpson, <laughs> right near the beach. If Boy. I wasn't Jamaican, then why would I wear this art? <laughs> Such an awesome That's movie. <laughs> anyway, this new system classifies hurricanes, Western Hemisphere tropical cyclones that exceed the intensities of tropical depressions and tropical storms into five categories distinguished by the ex- uh, intensities of their sustained winds. To be classified as a hurricane, a tropical cyclone must have one minute maximum sustained winds of 74 miles per hour. The highest classification in scale is category five consist of storms with sustained winds over 156 miles per hour. The classifications can provide some indication of the potential damage and flooding a hurricane will cause upon landfall. A category five would be uh, the lights. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to tell a story. You're talking about hurricanes. I put a a gif of a weatherman. (laughs) (laughs) Did you really? Yeah, take a look. Okay. I don't know if this is a good idea, guys. This is gonna, oh, oh my god, dude. This is gonna be rough. It's gonna I'm be gonna rough. die in laughter. <laughs> Why does it look like a wiener? <laughs> look what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> ah man. So a category okay, five. Okay. You good? You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna be a lot of gonna be a lot of editing in this one. Oh yeah, yeah. or not. <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when you're quarantined in the house. That's right. <laughs> so, Going stir crazy. Yep. So a category five would be the likes of that nasty bitch Katrina. And we all remember what she did. And uh, Jeff, you can obviously add that to the name of women that you don't like. George Bush hates black people. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Remember Kanye? Fucking Kanye. Oh, Kanye. yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Katrina. Remember, it was him and Mike Myers. And they're like, Mike Myers is like, we need to <laughs> donate <laughs> to the victims. And Kanye comes up. He's like, George Bush hates black people. 
and it just cuts. <laughs> Why did Mike Myers sound like Kermit the Frog? Because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I don't know how many miles away from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like if we were in the same room, he still would have sounded like Kermit the Frog. Right, probably, right, probably. for sure. So uh, you may be asking yourself, self, what in the flying monkey fuck does this have to do with this week's episode? Well, tell yourself to have another drink and calm the fuck down. We just started. On the radio, we're probably listening, listening to the smooth stylings of Gordon Jenkins and the Weaver's top ten hit, Good Night Irene. In theaters, you could jaunt off to see the epic film Sunset Boulevard, starring Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond, an aging silent film queen, and William Holden as the struggling young screenwriter who was held in thrall by Norma's madness. And the movie wound up actually winning three Academy Awards. So now... This is also the time where an article by Edward Van Winkle Jones, I swear to God, that's his name. <laughs> I swear. It's, <laughs> it's Edward Van Winkle Jones, um, was printed in the Miami News and first mentions the unexplained disappearances of multiple ships and planes in the Atlantic Ocean off of the southeastern coast of the United States. In the article, Vanilla Ice's possible great uncle details how a 350-foot freighter called the Sandra was sailing carrying 300 tons of insecticide headed for Puerto Cabello, Venezuela. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I love Mr. Bean. Anyway, so... The <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the ship and the 12 men on board were never heard from or seen again. There was also the plane that carried 32 people, including two babies from San Juan headed to Miami. In a radio message on December 27th, 1948, they were supposedly only 50 miles from the destination. They never arrived. So I actually da, da, da. have, a, yeah, I actually have an article clipping in the notes that we'll put in the uh, the details of the uh, episode. Uh, it's actually really cool. In fact, you know what? I'm going to send this over to you guys just so you guys can see it. Uh, <laughs> not that. <laughs> that's not me. <laughs> I'm not doing that one. Oh god. We have to we have to show this this part of it though for sure. Yeah, I think that's, oh, like, people are gonna be like, awesome. what the hell are they laughing uh -oh. about? Moody, what's your email address? I'm not telling you fuckers in that one. I gotta send it to you. Alright, you know uh, what? it's moodyo one three one at gmail.com. Everybody spam it. That's my spam account anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to send this over to you guys so you guys can check it out. Anyway, so you'll see the article in there. It's actually the article written by uh, <laughs> Edward Van Winkle Jones. Is that Vanilla Ice's? That's Vanilla Ice's uncle. Possible great uncle, is, I think. It is his fucking name, isn't it? Yeah, swear to God, that's his name. That's the actual article right there from 1950. No, I'm, I'm talking about Vanilla Ice. Yeah, it's yeah. Rob Van Winkle. Go dick. <laughs> All right, so let's discuss the topography of this area called the Bermuda Triangle, sometimes referred to as the Devil's Triangle or Hurricane Alley. Its area is loosely described as being in the middle of Miami, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and Bermuda, with a total area of 500,000 to 1,510,000 square miles, depending on who you ask. That's still a lot of space to lose some shit. It's one of the most heavily traveled shipping lanes in the world, with ships often crossing through it for ports in the Americas, Europe, and the Caribbean islands. It's considered a subtropical, subtrop oh my God, <laughs> subtropical climate with air temperatures ranging from the high 60s to the low 80s. Sounds pretty awesome, right? Well, it, yeah. rain, yeah, it rains a lot. From June 
to March of the next year, it tends to rain at least half of the days of each month. So you're literally getting like 15 days if you're lucky straight of, of nice weather. So Sounds like Ohio. Yeah, yeah. It's close. It's getting there. So 75 planes and hundreds of ships have gone missing through these numbers. <clears throat> Excuse me. Although these numbers seem to vary from source to source. <laughs> Fuck you, Moody. <laughs> Do you even English, bro? <laughs> so um, over 900 fatalities since 1800 have actually happened here. Christopher Columbus sailed through and reported a great flame of fire crashing into the sea and erratic compass readings. So now, let me ask a question. So, just, I'm spitballing here. So Christopher Columbus, he was actually headed for India and he wound up at the, uh, in the United States, right? Or America, right? The Americas. He was in, in like, the Bahamas is where he ended up. Right, but he was looking. Yeah, because, you know, Earth is flat, so he just kept going. Right. (laughs) Until he hit something. Didn't want to fall off. But what I'm saying is, is that if he was looking for India and he ended up there, is this a reason that maybe could have thrown him off course that he saw this great flame of fire? Is that a possibility? Uh, I, I don't know. I feel, I read. All right. That's great. No, no. When I was reading about that, they, they said that, um, somebody, there were some other reports around that time of the same kind of thing happening. They think it was like a, um, like a comet or a meteor that like landed or something. Really? You just have, just happened to see it, yeah. So where did you uh, where did you find that at? Because I I mean I did all kinds of sh- shit and I couldn't do it. I read, I saw a couple of things on like history dot com, and then I just started following fucking links. So I have honestly no idea where I <laughs> where I ended up. But all right. Um, oh, was, I do have the notes. <laughs> I just was sent couple, them over to you. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was a couple spots, and there was somebody that uh, there was one of them that read that we're talking about. Uh, other reports, like, um, can't remember like exactly where, but I'll, I'll see if I can figure figure out where it was. Cool. Um, so some believe that William Shakespeare's play The Tempest is based on tales of sorcery and shipwreck in that area. <laughs> so that's back in what, the 1500s? Wasn't that when he was around? Who? Shakespeare. Oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> sounds, sounds legit to me. <laughs> He's full of knowledge, folks. Anyway. In 1952, George yeah, X. Sand. Uh, April 1564 was when he was born. Look at me with the knowledge. <laughs> so in uh, 1952, George X. Sand wrote an article in Fate magazine titled Sea Mystery at Our Back Door, covering the disappearance. <laughs> 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 covering the disappearance of several planes and ships, including the loss of Flight 19, which was a group of five U.S. Navy um, Grumman? 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 Grumman. Gre- Grumman. I don't know. Grumman. G-R-U-M-M-A-N. Grumman. Right? Whatever. Grumman. Sure. TBM Avenger torpedo bombers that were on a training mission. On December 5th, 1945, after losing contact during a United States Navy overwater navigation training flight from Naval Air Station Fort Lauderdale, um, that's in Florida, folks. Um, all 14 airmen on the flight were lost. What's even more messed up is that all 13 crew members of a Martin PBM Mariner flying boat that launched from the, the then Naval Air Station Banana River, which is now what we know as Patrick Air Force Base in Brevard County, Florida, went out to search for Flight 19, and they were also lost. 
So they all went out looking. They, these guys went looking for the guys that got lost, and they got lost themselves. So it's like, do 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 do. Do you think this is like a? You know how like certain areas mess with the compass? You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, I, it, I truly expense the compass. Uh, at that time, um, I read that at that time that was one of the few places known to uh, where True North actually lines up correctly on a compass or something like that. Uh, oh, really? So. It, yeah, it was. Uh, so I guess they knew, they knew at the time that like some weird shit was happening. But that's uh, that's one of the things that they always talk about is there's some weird like electrical stuff that messes with like instrumentation and uh, magnetic fields and stuff that mess with the compass. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm assuming with that whole thing. You know what I mean? Like it just makes sense. So Sands article was the first to describe the Erica, the Erica, the area as a triangle. You know, Erica the triangle. She's she's a bitch. We don't like her. <laughs> Fuck Erica. <laughs> so real quick, real quick in the intro, which uh -huh. you'll you you can't you haven't heard it, but you'll get to hear later. But there's a whole thing about how the Bermuda Triangle actually was the Bermuda Square originally. <laughs> okay. Did, did you know that? I did not. Yeah, and then what I happened was I didn't see that at all either. Well, what Chuck Norris, he roundhouse kicked one of the corners <laughs> off. It became the triangle. Oh, Jesus Christ. That sounds scientific. Yep. Yep. So uh, his article was the first to describe the area. area. Oh, my God. I almost said Erica again. <laughs> the well, area, who's Erica? <laughs> As a triangle. So he's the first person to actually say that this was a triangle. Flight 19 alone would be covered again in the April 1962 issue of American Legion magazine. Um, in it, author Alan W. Eckert wrote that the flight leader had been heard saying, quote, we are entering white water. Nothing seems right. We don't know where we are. The water is green, no white. So he also wrote that officials at the Navy Board um, of Inquiry stated that the planes, quote, flew off to Mars. Yeah, they they really said flew off to Mars. Yeah. Oh, here we go. What? <laughs> what the fuck was that? What was that? That's, we have uh, Evan's cousin is here. Oh, nice. I, you can't really hear him when he talks, though. Yeah, his name is uh, Chandler, I think. Chandler. Chandler, are you there? Jay Bro said, hello, my name Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll, San, he'll try and help us out throughout the podcast. You, thank you, Chandler. So Sand was the first to suggest that a supernatural element led to the Flight 19 disappearance. So now let's talk about some other notable disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. All right. So according to BermudaAttractions.com, the Ellen Austin was an American schooner. A large multi-mast ship weighing Not over a eight. Schooner, it's a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> what, dude? Mall rat? It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat. Oh yeah, because he's sitting there. He's trying, to, cover <laughs> he's trying to stare at the thing and he can't see it. Yeah, and the little kid's like, "It's not a." Or, he's like, "It's a schooner," and he's like, "You dumb <laughs> bastard! It's not a schooner. It's a sailboat." <laughs> so this sailboat. Um, weighed over 1,800 tons and was 210 feet long. The ship was manufactured way back in 1854 in Maine. She used to ply between London and New York over the Bermuda Triangle Zone in the Atlantic Ocean. In 1881, during one of her London to New York trips, she met with another ship on the way, which was moving at a very, very good speed. So it was going fast as shit. Strangely, the other ship had no one on board. In order to salvage this unnamed ship, the captain of the Ellen Austin sent some of his prize crew on board uh, on board the unmanned ship. When the crew boarded the ship, they in fact confirmed that there was not a single person on board. 
The captain of the Ellen Austin ordered the crew to guide the ship so that they could all sail together to New York. After two days, the two ships got separated by a big-ass storm, and when the storm subsided, the unnamed ship was gone and never seen again. Now, the mystery of the ship is still being explored. The crew and the unknown ship could never be traced again. However, in 1944, a retired British Navy officer, Commander Gould, wrote about this incident. In his article, he mentioned that the ship was actually found again by the Ellen Austin, but again, like last time, there was no one on board, and the ship was sailing erratically. The crew was also gone. So whoever his prize crew guys that he sent on top of the or onto the ship, they bounced. Like nobody knows what the hell happened. So the captain of the Ellen Austin again sent some crew to the ship to salvage it. In a few days' time, the ship again disappeared and was never traced again. While the first part of the story is confirmed, the second part could not be confirmed due to lack of proper evidence. Many initially related the case to UFOs <laughs> and imagined that it could be a case of abduction by aliens. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. I guarantee it. Right, yeah. right, Moody? I mean, you know, that's what I would lean toward. Exactly. Of course you would. So the fact is, the mystery is not yet solved. And uh, the Ellen Austin started its journey on December 5th, 1880 from London and finally reached New York on February 11th, 1881. A very long time to get from that one space Christ, to the other. Dude. What? Fucking four months on a goddamn three months on a boat. Yeah. So a schooner, a schooner, not a sailboat. Schooner. My bad. Right. So, it, yeah, I mean, they were out there looking for that damn ship. So it took forever. So. So that thing's still out there somewhere. That's the crazy part. Um, the USS Cyclops. All right, so let's talk about that one. A History.com article told us that in March of 1918, an enormous coal carrier, the USS Cyclops, disappeared on a voyage between the West Indies to Baltimore. The Cyclops was nearly 550 feet long with a crew of uh, 306 people and had around 11,000 tons of manganese aboard. She had been sailing successfully since 1910, traveling between the Baltic Sea, the Caribbean, and Mexico, and assisting with moving coal around the world and helping refugees. But in 1917, when America entered World War I, Cyclops and Wolverine became a key naval mutant asset, <laughs> transporting troops and coal to fuel uh, to other ships all over the world. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. I love the fact that we can adjust the notes in real time. And now I know why you don't give them to me. <laughs> That's usually why I don't. Well, I can actually fix it so you guys can't do that. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> so in, in March 1918, the ship was given a new cargo. Tons and tons of dense manganese ore used in steelmaking. She left Brazil and then voyaged to Barbados to resupply for the long journey back home to Baltimore. The last known message from the ship simply said, quote, Fair weather, all well. But... On the nine-day journey, something went wrong, and no one from the ship was ever seen or heard again, vanishing without even an SOS. So in an article published a couple of years after the ship's disappearance, Santa Fe Magazine described the fucked-upness of the disappearance by writing, quote, Usually a wooden bucket or a cork life preserver identified as, law as belonging to a lost ship is picked up after a wreck, but not so with Cyclops. <laughs> So yeah. Can I just say that if if it was Santa Fe magazine, I don't think he'd have that accent. Yeah, but back in the eighteen hundreds, wasn't that the eighteen nineteen eighteen? You don't think they're going today? Oh yeah. In, 
In Santa Fe? I don't think they Yeah. Were. Santa Fe? Dude, they, were roller, they were roller skating on the boardwalk, being like, excuse me, sir, out of my way. There's no board. <laughs> Santa Fe's in New Mexico. Exactly. What fucking, what fucking exactly. boardwalk? That's what I told you. I tried to tell you that, but you didn't listen. So. Right. Dude, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> so they reported, quote, <laughs> they reported that, uh, quote, she just disappeared as though some gigantic monster of the sea had grabbed her, men and all, and sent her into the depths of the ocean. And the suddenness of her destruction is amplified by the absence of any wireless calls for help being picked up by any ship along the route. At the time, people wondered whether the ship and crew had been the victim of a German submarine or raider. It was uh, barely a year into the war, and the Cyclops and Jean Grey would have made a strategic target. Yet nothing materialized, and as time went on, it has become less and less likely that German crafts had been in the area at all. Now, red Skull. Uh, red, it's the Red Skull. Did I? They, I'm t again, he's like, cosmetically, he's my favorite character in the entire MCU. Do you see really? that dude? Do you see that dude who's having a bunch of plastic surgery to look like that guy? No way, really? Shut he's up. Like, Seriously, the actor, fucking... the guy that plays him. <clears throat> no, no, no. The guy, there's a guy who like he got his fucking nose cut off and shit. What? And he like tattooed his face red and he's got like implants and shit, dude. Throw it, throw it in the uh, Discord so I can see it. See no can way. It. See if I can find it. I don't believe it. Well, I'll see if I can find it for you. <laughs> so others have. <laughs> <laughs> Put the Cyclops on there. I just saw that. So others have pointed fingers at the captain. All right, first and foremost, I'm going to take a quick, just a second to let you guys know. So we're using we're using Discord so we can social distance ourselves, and oh. we're sending gifts back and forth as we're going through this, and it's um absolutely freaking hilarious. So we'll try to throw some of those up for you guys. So, others have pointed fingers at the captain, George W. Worley. Months earlier, some members of the crew claimed Worley was crunk on that shit and unsuitable to steer a ship. There were even reports of a minor mutiny staged on board the ship. Maybe that's where Moody got the idea. Back up, Moody. All right? You hear me, bro? Do you Look, hear me? Don't bring me... I had nothing to do with it. I'm just saying. Back up, bro. So, the Damn, Navy defended bro, Worley of these sorry. charges... <laughs> the Navy defended Worley of these charges and he returned to his command with apparently little fanfare. So people are like, nah, that dude sucks, bro. So the US <laughs> the US Navy says in its official statement about the Cyclops, quote, the disappearance of this ship has been one of the most baffling mysteries in the annals <laughs> of the Navy. I was just waiting to see your annals of the Navy. <laughs> All of the Navy, which is even funnier, all attempts to locate her have proved <laughs> unsuccessful, quote. Um, but some people still cling to investigations, particularly those with a personal connection to the ship. Marvin Barash is the descendant of one of the firefighters aboard the ship. He has spent more than a decade researching its history, painstakingly gathering Navy records, ship logs, and any type of material that might come in useful, including a blackened bag of manganese ore, and human fingernails made out of chocolate cupcake whistle toots. Quote. He <laughs> 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 <You> actually read it. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, you put it in there. I'm going to read it. That's so amazing. <laughs> I'll read it. I'll read it every time. So quote. One more time. What was, <laughs> uh, it, was the uh, back? it was a... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a bag of manganese ore and human fingernails made out of chocolate cupcake wizard. <laughs> Hold on. A bag of manganese ore. <laughs> Hold on. I'm trying to get this out. A bag of manganese ore and, a, and human fingernails made out of chocolate cupcake whistle dupes. Oh my god, dude. I either got the coronavirus, I'm just laughing so hard. I'm crying. So, quote, the whole existence of the ship has been swept under a rug, he told the Baltimore Sun. And, quote, it wasn't like it was lost in a glorious battle. It just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Now, Barash has his own suspicions about what happened to this lost, huge, colossus ship. Um, a series of mechan a series of mechanical failure uh, of mechanical failures, <laughs> a crew unused uh, unused oh my god, crew who was not used to the uh, the heavy cargo, and a final great rolling wave that tipped the ship and her passengers into the ocean forever. All of this he thinks may have coincided with the ship passing over the Puerto Rico trench, which is the deepest part of the Atlantic, where she would be near irretrievable. Which I didn't know that. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, because there's depths they haven't even been to yet I'm assuming, well yeah i know right? it's what is it like 80 or 90 percent of the oceans have never even been explored that something like is that? where atlantis is <clears throat> okay right, well actually there is a theory about the, the triangle being an area where atlantis might be and uh that the reason that all this weird crap happens because of the uh is basically because atlantis atlantis is there and uh like the uh it's like ancient power essentially is still around and it's like fucking with stuff. But you know. Wait, did you did you say Atlantis, Atlantis. or Atlantis? Morissette? Uh, Atl wait, Atlantis <laughs> no, Morissette? Like, <laughs> How did you do that so quick? <laughs> Isn't it ironic? That I mean, was literally like a half think? a second you got that in there. <laughs> Wow. Dude, I'm on the ball. So despite despite his misgivings, Barash Obama. <laughs> so Barash retains some hope that the ship will be discovered, especially as undersea exploration technology improves. There are fewer and fewer lost shipwrecks every year, with high-tech devices spotting vessels believed to be gone for good. The Cyclops may be next on the list, says Megni. <laughs> <laughs> the Cyclops may be next on the list, um, says says uh, <laughs> Barash. Uh, quote, I just wanted to be found, Barash said. I want the 309 to be at rest as well as the families. It's something everybody needs. Some resolution. All right. So another one Jesus lost and Christ. it sucks. So the next one is the Carol A. Deering. And I actually have a picture of it if you guys can oh, see lovely. it inside the... Uh, the notes right there. Yeah, you like that? So, a five-masted schooner, or a <laughs> sailboat, whichever way you want to call it, built in 1919, the Carol A. Deering was found hard aground and abandoned at Diamond Shoals near Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, on January 31st, 1921. Flip the picture! <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm reading along, all of a sudden the picture just rotates by itself. <laughs> I'm totally changing the name of this episode to, to the Bermuda train right. wreck. That's what this is going to be. So anyway, they found it on January 31st, 1921. In August 1920, five months before the five-masted schooner was discovered abandoned off the coast of present-day Cape Hatteras National it's, it's Seashore, pronounced, the Carol... It's pronounced Hatteras. It's not what? Hatteras. It's not Hatteras. 
It's Cape Hatteras. What is it? Cape Hatteras. Hatteras? Yeah. Did you did you did you say Patteras? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh god damn it. I mean, it sounded like you said Patteras. I said Hatteras. And that's disgusting. We we don't Hatteras. We don't want to hear that. All right. He's a Patteras. So it's Hatteras. Hatteras. Okay. Hatteras. Um so the Carolina Deering set a uh, sail from Norfolk, Virginia in tip-top shape with an experienced captain and a crew of 10 men bound for Rio de Janeiro with a cargo of coal. The ship departed on August 22nd. And although Captain William H. Merritt fell ill a few days later and had to be replaced by the hastily recruited Captain W.B. Warmel, the ship delivered its cargo on schedule and set sail to return in December. A light shipkeeper named Captain Jacobson aboard the Cape Lookout Lightship in North Carolina sighted the vessel bound for its home port on January 29, 1921. The Carol A. Deering hailed the lightship and an unidentified crewman reported that the ship had lost its anchors. Captain Jacobson took note of this, but was unable to report it due to his radio being out. Oh, that's real fucking, that's good. Good to hear there, buddy Jacobson. He would later describe the crew of the Carol A. Deering, quote, just fucking around suspiciously on the foredeck of the ship. I'm, of course, paraphrasing. He said that they were meandering, I believe is the word he said. So two days later, on the morning of January 31st, C.P. Bradley Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like the actor? (laughs) (laughs) two days later in the morning of january 31st cp bradley of the cape hatteras patteras whatever coast guard station spied the schooner run aground and looking um all sad and shit on diamond shoals its sails set uh still set its sails still set and its lifeboats missing rough waters kept surf boats from reaching the wreck until february 4th when C.P. Brady or Bradley, is it Bradley? No, it's Brady. Why'd you put Bradley? <laughs> C.P. Bradley. <laughs> Brady. Damn it. Initial suspicion proved correct. The Carol A. Deering was abandoned. Okay. The crew had vanished like ghosts. Gone with them were their personal belongings, key navigational equipment, some papers, and the ship's anchors. All right. So, so the anchors <clears throat> were gone, which is crazy. Despite an exhaustive investigation by the FBI, no trace of the crew or the ship's logs have ever been recovered. To this day, the Carol A. Deering is one of the most discussed and written about maritime mysteries of the 20th century. Its enduring popularity, no doubt fueled by the complete uncertainty as to how the ship arrived at its fate. Often called the ghost ship of the Outer Banks, the Carol A. Deering remains an unsolved mystery. Um, The accounts of the crew's alleged dissatisfaction with uh, new Captain W.B. Warmel have led to speculation that a mutiny may have occurred. While the FBI's investigation turned up leads ranging from Bolshevik sympathizing pirates to rum running gangsters, all of which turned out to be dead ends. Some people have even suggested that the notorious Bermuda Triangle was to blame. Blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you, bro. um, Actually, that is incorrect. The real story (laughs) is aliens came down and killed everyone for no reason. Oh, thanks, Chandler. Wow, Chandler's Uh, on point. Okay. I did. I did read something about that uh, that captain, that WB Warmel or whatever. Yeah. Um, I guess you said that uh, <clears throat> you said that there was dissatisfaction with him or whatever. I guess that uh, the crew at one point tried to have him <clears throat> taken off of the ship. <coughs> uh, a mutiny. Because they said he was like a drunk and everything like that. But then the Navy was like, not nah, fucking and put him back out of the ship. So, but don't you think it's kind of weird that like, all right, so I can understand if, if let's just say everyone got off the ship and they uh, 
they took all of the lifeboats, but like, yeah, with the anchors being gone, that's just so weird. You know what I mean? Like, what did they try to like lower their anchors because of a storm or something? And and then it ripped them off, and they were like, "All right, we got to get the hell out yeah. of here." You know what I mean? Like, that's I don't know. It just seems really weird to me. So I didn't wreck- see that when I was reading about when I was reading about that part. I didn't see that the anchors. Yeah, the, the anchors that's were actually removed weird. from it. Sounds like a mafia cover up to me. Yeah, it, it probably <laughs> is. The hall was probably full of dirty money. Dirty money? Like it needed washed? Yep. Oh, okay. So the wreck of the Carol A. Deering was dynamited and blown the fuck apart in March 1921 to keep it from becoming a hazard to other vessels and to keep idiots like us, the guys at the Midnight Dream Podcast, from jumping aboard and pretending like drunken pirates. <laughs> yes. Whatever answers may have once existed are likely gone so let's talk about some airships some planes all right so we will talk about the star tiger and star aerial according to information at bermuda triangle reveled.com the g-a-h-n-p star tiger was an avro tudor mark IV passenger aircraft owned and operated by british south american uh, airways British South American Airways was an airline created by uh, former World War II pilots in an effort to provide service on the previously untapped South American trade and passenger routes. Originally named British Latin America, no, that's not racist to say, airlines. <laughs> well, we have to we have to cover because you know all the reviews we get. Right, 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 right. So that was not racist by saying British Latin American. No, it was. We split. didn't say British taco, yepa yepa. Right. Okay, so now you just made it racist. <laughs> Way to go, Jeff. Did I? No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. that's that's what that was. Yeah. I like Taco Bell. I go there frequently. Okay. So it was split off was from split. the British Overseas Airways Corporation to operate their South Atlantic routes. It commenced transatlantic service in March 1946 with a BSAA plane making the first operational flight from London's Heathrow Airport. The airline operated mostly Avro aircrafts. Yorks, oh my God, this word. Lank Lancastrians? Lancastrians? Lancastrians. That sounds right, right? And Tudors. And flew to Bermuda, the West Indies, and the western coast of South America. South America, sorry. While on a flight between Santa Maria in the Azores and Bermuda, and it disappeared on January 30th, 1948. At 3.04, radio officer Robert Tuck aboard Star Tiger requested a radio bearing from Bermuda, but the signal was not strong enough to obtain an accurate reading. Tuck repeated the request 11 minutes later, and this time the Bermuda radio airport uh, operator, airport, Jesus, Bermuda radio operator was able to obtain a bearing of 72 degrees, accurate to within two degrees. The Bermuda operator transmitted this information, and Tuck acknowledged receipt at 317. This was the last communication with the aircraft. The Bermuda operator tried to contact Star Tiger at 350, and receiving no reply, no reply, Thought it had gone over to direct radio contact with Bermuda Approach Control. However, Approach Control reported that this was not the case. The Bermuda radio operator tried at 4.05 to contact Star Tiger again without success. And after trying again at 4.40, he declared a state of emergency. He had uh, he had heard no distress message and ne- neither eh, and neither did anyone else, even though many receiving stations were listening on Star Tiger's frequency. So anyway, he's putting all his shit out there and he's trying to contact the guy and they can't get a hold of him. He hears him for two seconds and all of a sudden it's like there's nothing there. So Lord Macmillan was appointed to head the investigation of the missing plane, assisted by two assessors in the form of 
a professor of aviation from the University of London and the chief pilot of British European Airways. Air Airways. Not- <laughs> <laughs> Fuck my mouth today. I hate it. You anyway. mop it. <laughs> the Airways. The investigation, which was held in public at Church House, Westminster, opened on April 12th, 1948, and lasted 11 days. On August 21st, they presented their report to Lord Pakenham, who had succeeded Lord Nathan of Chut as Minister of Civil Aviation. The report emphasized that the crew of the Star Tiger were highly experienced and found, quote, want of care and attention to detail in the flight plan, but nothing serious enough to explain the accident. See, that was okay to use that, right? I could use that, that accent for that, Moody. Yeah, do it. You're criticizing okay. my shit, bro. I'm just trying to tell no, you. No, dude. I was trying to make this. I'm. I'm trying to make this podcast better, and you guys are <laughs> fucking around. <laughs> so the Ministry of Civil Aviation later <laughs> issued this press release, and it says, "In closing this report, it may truly be said that no more baffling <laughs> problem has been ever presented for investigation. In the complete absence of any reliable evidence." As to either the nature of the cause of the accident of Star Tiger, the court has not been able to do more than suggest possibilities, none of which reaches the level of even probability. If you want to cook mozzarella sticks in an air fryer, simply set the temperature to 360 degrees and set it for 10 minutes. Then the cheese will be soft and gooey and have a crispy fried shell. Yum. And all activities which involve the cooperation of man and machine, two elements enter of a very diverse character. There is an incalculable, uh, incalculable, in, 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 there's a really fucking hard word to say, <laughs> element of the human equation dependent upon imperfectly known factors. And there is the mechanical <laughs> element subject to quite different laws. A breakdown may occur in either separately or both in conjunction, or some external cause may overwhelm both man and machine. What happened in this case will never be known, and the fate of Star Tiger must be a dancer. I have seen so many dance routines, but this one blows my whistle, and it may still remain a mystery. <laughs> so is that what this is gonna be now? It's gonna be, it's gonna be Ron Burgundy time over here all the time. <laughs> when we're in, when we're quarantined, we're doing it. We're doing it remotely. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> so passengers, if you can, they have they have the ability to go in and basically change all of my notes, and they could add whatever they want. So that's kind of what's happening right now. Hope you're having fun. Anyway, so the GAGRE Star Aerial disappeared in January 17th, 1949, on a flight from Bermuda to Kingston. So this is the other ship now, okay? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I actually passed it up. You butthole. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so anyway, this is the uh, another plane on a flight from Bermuda to Kingston, Jamaica, and was also an Avro Tudor 4 passenger aircraft operated by British South American Airways. The Star Aerial was one of the uh, three enlarged and improved versions of the Avro Tudor, Tudor designated Mark IVs. On January 17, 1949, the Star Aerial was awaiting flight instructions at Kidney Field, Bermuda, with no passengers. BSAA Tudor GAHNK, meanwhile, lost an engine on approach to Bermuda, landing without incident. Star Ariel was prompted or promptly pressed into service to take GAHNKs, which is the fourth member of the Wu Tang clan, take them passengers <laughs> onto the destination of Kingston, Jamaica. Jamaica, man! 
<laughs> Star Ariel took off at 841 with seven crew and 13 passengers. Weather conditions were excellent, and her pilot, Captain John McPhee, decided on a high <laughs> decided on a high altitude flight to <coughs> About an hour into the flight, McPhee contacted Kingston by radio. Quote I departed from Kendley Field at 8.41 a.m. hours. My ETA at Kingston is 2.10 uh, 2 p.m. hours. I am flying in good visibility at 18,000 feet. I flew over 150 miles south of Kendley Field at 9, uh, 9 hours and 32 minutes. My ETA at 30 degrees north is three, uh, 9 hours and 37 minutes. Will you accept control? And then at 9.42. I was over 30 degrees north at 937. I am changing frequency to MRX, DMX, ARF, ARF. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I love how you read that. <laughs> wait, wait, let me back that up. To MRX, DMX, ARF, ARF. What? Is that better? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, good. I no like how you read it normally, like ARF, ARF, what? <laughs> so no more messages were received from Star Ariel, and Kingston finally reported her overdue. A representative of the chief inspector of accidents left for Bermuda on eight, uh, January 18, 1949. It was revealed that there had been no bad weather, none of the weather reports indicating any abnormal conditions, and the chance of any marked clear air turbulence was almost none. There were no clouds above 10,000 feet over the uh, whole of the aircraft's route. So the entire route, there was nothing there. Huh? That sounds like a made-up thing. Like some dude, like some dude was in power, and his buddy wanted a job. So he's like, "All right, you're the chief inspector of accidents." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bob, can I have a job? Bob, <laughs> can I have a job? So yes, fake. yes, that's fine, Billy. You're the chief inspector of accidents. God, man. However, although the weather was good, the day in question had suffered communication problems ranging from static to poor reception to complete blackouts lasting as much as 10 minutes, which came and went, selectively affecting certain planes calling certain stations from different angles. The communication problem lasted almost exactly the entire time the star aerial would have been in flight, finally lifting around um, 1307, which is what, 107? Yeah. This was investigated along with McPhee's switch over to Kingston Frequency, which was considered early as he was still close to Bermuda at the time. It was considered possible that a distress transmission on that frequency, frequency might not have been heard given the aircraft's distance from Kingston. However, a BSAA representative in Kingston observed, quote, It would appear that the aircraft should have made firm contact with MRX before requesting permission from Bermuda to change frequency. This was obviously not done as MRX never worked G-A-G-R-E on this frequency at all. In addition, I am convinced that G-A-G-R-E did not ever transmit on this frequency of 6523 kilo... What the heck's KCS? Is that k kilocycles per second? Sounds good to me. All right. Even if sure. Bermuda did, did give authority to change frequency, which they could quite readily have done, I swear to you it was not my intention to poop in my pants. <laughs> I tried to make it to the bathroom, but failed. <laughs> this latter opinion is based on the fact that not only was MRX in Jamaica listening out at 6,523 6, kilocycles per second, but so also were New York, Miami, Nassau, Havana, and Balboa, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, as we are aware, and from what... I'm never getting the notes again, am I? <laughs> nope. 
<laughs> and what definite information we have, none of these stations ever heard from GAGRE on 6,523 kilocycles per second. Whilst it may have been possible for us not to hear GAGARE owing to the bad reception, Palis, Palisados, Palis, Pat, Pat, what is it? Pale, 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 Palisados, whatever, oh is the Kingston, uh, Kingston, um, Jamaica Aerodrome was experiencing at the time of the requested QSY. It would seem most improbable for similar conditions to attain with all those other stations listening out on that frequency. So what does that mean? Okay. Basically, they'd never had a problem <clears throat> and they did not understand what the hell was going on. I should have just said so, that from uh, the beginning. Really quickly, you I, I, all this fuckery about, and you did actually get it right, it is kilocycles per second. Yay! And what, is it, what does it equate to? far as what goes a kilocycle like what is the equivalent what's, measurement what's, so we can gotta, relate it to it's got to be air uh, airway frequencies it, right um, hold on, let me see. like the <laughs> traveling speed of sound well uh does do radio waves travel differently <laughs> we're like uh, <laughs> it's just whatever well it says so i looked up kilocycle and it just says that it's a thousand cycle periodic a what? What? Say it again. It's a, th a thousand cycles of any periodic pheno phenomenon. You're cutting out, fucker. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you guys, you guys have been cutting out on mine the whole time. I'm, well, that's because you, you just... I don't say shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is the Douglas DC <laughs> in an article by Raj Batarchara at BermudaAttractions.com. The Douglas Dakota or the DC-3 has probably been the most reliable aircraft ever designed and built. There were more than 10,000 DC-3 DC planes manufactured and still hundreds remain in use. These are propeller-driven aircraft and not jet planes. The economics and practical consideration have still kept them in use, although small jet planes are now gradually replacing them. You will see lots of these aircraft in Florida and also in the whole of Caribbean and uh, of the Caribbean and Bahamas. Uh, you, you Bahamas, you want to come on, pretty mama. What the f***? <laughs> You singing Kokomo? <laughs> Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I wanna take it to Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, all right, that's enough. That's so actually the drink pop song, by the way. Nice. So their job is mainly you got people are gonna hear this. <laughs> all right, oh, yeah. hold on. Let me let me oh, preface yeah. this real quick and just let everyone know real fast. We have no idea because we have to put everything in post because we're doing it this way. Normally we do it on the spot, so we. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the cost of fuck. Ah! So anyway, their job is mainly island hopping because of small distances between the islands and also short runways. The big jumbo jets are usually unfit for such activities, and the DC-3 is ideally suited for this. The DC-3 is also widely used as private charter planes by many airlines and also for spraying pest controls from the air, particularly mosquito killers. Captain Ooh. Bob Lindquist reported to the ground engineers that the light indicator for the landing gear did not come on at the time of the landing. Whoops. Ground. Yeah. Oops. That's, uh, dude, I, that's mm. my butt puckers right there. <laughs> so the ground crew immediately started the checks and figured out that the battery was weak and running low on water. The stewardess, uh, Mary Burks, was, uh, isn't that incorrect? It's not stewardess. Isn't it flight attendant? Isn't that inappropriate to say? You don't say stewardess yeah. anymore? Yeah, you get it. Really? Yeah, because they're not because stewardess is like a they say it's like a 
like a it's sexual appropriation, women. buddy. Yeah, yeah. I hate this deal. planet. I know. So the flight attendant, Mary Burkus, was busy doing the hokey pokey with the captain in the bathroom, Isle High style. Deplaning the passengers <laughs> and the co-pilot, Ernest Hill, was going around the aircraft for routine checks. The ground crew refilled the battery and informed the captain that it would take several hours for the batteries to recharge fully. The captain, however, decided not to wait that long and rather charge the batteries in the air from the aircraft's own generator. Way to go, captain. Sounds like the uh -huh. captain fucked this one up. So at 8.30 p.m., the DC-3 was all set to depart for Miami. By this time, Mary Burkus had onboarded 28 passengers for the return trip. Trip, 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 trip. Uh, <clears throat> However, there was... Um, there was a lot more annoying wait before the plane could finally take off. Okay, so they were sitting around. The radio transmitter in the aircraft was not working properly due to the low battery. So the aircraft was asked to wait at the end of the tarmac. The head of Puerto Rican transport drove to the plane to talk to the captain. Lindquist informed him that he could clearly receive the messages but could not every time send messages due to the low battery. Finally... At 10.03 p.m., when all seemed to be okay, the flight was allowed to take off. The captain was advised to stay close to San Juan until the two-way communication was fully established from the air. The flight circled the San Juan city for 11 minutes, and once the, um, the both-way radio communication was confirmed, it started its journey out towards the sea for Miami. Next, at 12.23 p.m., the captain um, Linquist, wait, the captain Linquist sent his routine radio transmission to indicate the flight position. It was at 8,300 feet altitude and reported its uh, estimated time of arrival at 4.03 a.m. into Miami. But funnily, while the message was received at Miami Control Tower, which was some 700 miles away, there was no transmission received at San Juan, which was much closer. The captain next reported the flight position when it was 50 miles south of Florida and only 20 minutes to land. Strangely again, this mess uh, the message this time was received at New Orleans, which is about 600 miles away, and not Miami, that was closer. New Orleans radio tower forwarded the message to Miami station. And that was the last time a message was ever received from the DC-3. The weather was normal. Uh, repeated radio signals from uh, control towers did not get any response. The flight DC-3 had suddenly disappeared with all of his passengers and crew. So, Ooh. yeah, pretty crazy on that one, right? <clears throat> so now, the next one is the... We've only got a couple more of these here. Uh, there's just a lot. And honestly, I could have gone probably three episodes deep on all the different disappearances of shit in this. Um, I'll, I, you know what? I'm going to skip to this one here. The KC-135 Stratotankers. There remains to this day the unexplained loss of two big KC-135 jet Stratotankers in the Bermuda tri Triangle. They departed Homestead uh, Air Force Base from Florida, south of Miami, on August 28, 1963, for a refueling mission with three B-47s. This went off without a motherfucking hitch. Afterward, they were proceeded to, and I'm going to suck doing these, um, uh, what do you call them? The, not directions. What is it called? The, the Co Coordinates. Coordinates. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Sorry, I'm drinking beer. Anyway, proceeded to 30 degrees. 30 degrees <laughs> 30 degrees 28 north 60 degrees 54 west and turn back the, the, the coordinates are very important for this uh, and then turn back toward Florida at 12.01pm they reported to Oceanic Air Control that they were at these coordinates and were turning uh, to return to base they were ascending to 36,000 feet and 35,500 feet respectively at 12.20 the B-47s lost visual contact 
um, with them after entering a Cirrus deck, which is a cloud level, you know, like Cirruses and not the yeah, yeah, station. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To continue on their course. However, at 1.57 p.m., Oceanic Air Control informed Homestead that the planes were overdue for contact. This began a massive search for the planes, which finally ended at 29 degrees, 19 north, 69 degrees, 41 west. On the 29th, when debris items were definitely identified as belonging to a KC-135 tanker. Both of the planes had gone down in excellent weather without uttering any word over the radio, no matter how terse to anyone. It seems inconceivable under Norcom. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Check the Discord. <laughs> what? I can't. <laughs> I hate you. Ah. So anyway, oh, man. they had both gone down, and it seems inconceivable under these nor normal circumstances that the planes could have collided after maintaining an initial 500-foot formation separation. So they were well far away from each other, and it was clear skies. Um, <laughs> we have seen several times in Bermuda Triangle incidences where planes suddenly slow for no reason, where they drop or rise uh, for no reason as well. If this was the case with these two stratotankers, then both um, a slowing of the lead plane and a drop in its altitude would be required for the second plane in lower altitude to hit it. <laughs> can, can you stop? Yeah. <laughs> Assuming that the second plane wasn't high on model glue and wasn't affected by the same snow, uh, slowing in speed and drop in altitude so it would impact the lead plane. All right. Follow me, guys, here? All right. Yes. Yeah, buddy. All right. The, the selectivity of such a scenario seems beyond any known turbulence, whether CATs or turbulence from other um, provenances or pro provoke, provocate. Oh, my God. Anyway, it seems like this shit just shouldn't happen. So CAT can strike around the jet stream, can precede storms, and can manifest in various conditions which meteorology can predict or at least warn of their possible ev a, uh, eventuation on certain flight tracks. None of them are selective enough, however, to hit only one plane in a formation. <laughs> Regular turbulence. Let me see. Hold on. No, oh, I don't see it. No, okay. nothing. Don't, don't worry. Okay. Um, so regular turbulence would have shaken both aircraft without necessarily <laughs> slamming them into each other. The odd pot, of, uh, the odd pot, the odd part about those. Key oh my God. You guys are fucking killing me today. <laughs> Stop it. The odd part about those coordinates that I listed earlier is that it puts them somewhere over Alabama slammer winch. <laughs> what? It's a what? <laughs> oh god, I hate you! Ah, I got it's it. It's a what? Nothing. It's nothing. It's it, it's somewhere over Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I gotta read the entire thing that Jeff wrote. Alabama slammer, wind jammer, shaking money maker, nine months lady baber maker. <laughs> okay, so oh, anyway, it, it puts. It puts them over Alabama, which they had no reason even being close to that place. So was it a typo? Was it the model glue? Or was it something far more sinister? All right. Oh, so shit. let's talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys. Let's talk about some actual reasons for these disappearances. All right. So first and foremost, we're going to talk about the stuff that I know for a fact that Moody is all about. We're going to talk about the paranormal explanations of what oh. may have transpired 
in the Bermuda Triangle, all right? So Bermuda Triangle writers have used a number of supernatural concepts to explain these crazy events. A wormhole is a one possible explanation, and it's essentially a space-time shortcut that could, in theory, even potentially allow time travel. Like a black hole. Although, uh, no, a black hole actually like eradicates and sucks everything down. A wormhole is just like a, a, a place in space or in time that can actually open up. And it, it can create like, like a, a, what's that? Uh, the, 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 the bridge, the Bruns Tungsten Bridge or the Brang, the bridge, the bridge fucking thing. I don't know. Anyway, there's talking the, about the Stargate. No, the, it's a, it's a bridge. <laughs> it's called the bridge. Hold on. I got to find this now because you're telling you, it's like, you ever seen the show Stargate? That's what it is, dude. Yeah. 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 yeah that's what it is, man. Yeah. But it's called something. That's all it is. And the same with uh, Event Horizon, same fucking thing. It's called an Einstein Rosen Bridge, and that's exactly. Dude, you weren't even goddamn. Well, well, it's it kind of. I said bridge. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, although wormholes haven't been proven to exist yet, it hasn't stopped them from being thrown about as a Bermuda Triangle theory. Some people point to the wormhole explanation as a reason why many vessels aren't found after crashing in the Bermuda Triangle. Some believe aliens are using these wormholes as a point of travel from their location to Earth. In 1971, there was a case of a UFO hovering over the USS John F. Kennedy. During the time the UFO was hovering over the ship, they were unable to launch planes and the electronics were not working properly. It was said that the following two men, uh, that the following two men in trench coats landed aboard the ship and questioned witnesses. As the ship was nearing its destination, the captain came on the closed-circuit TV system to remind the crew that what happened on the ship stays on the ship. Now, I literally don't believe that at all, but um, thoughts on that one, guys? Well, I mean, back then. <laughs> you know? How was that even? <laughs> I mean, back then, period. Yeah. There, there was not no, even. A, I don't know. Yeah, he's like, I, uh, keep your mouth I, shut, see. If, I'd have to find the uh, the article that I saw about that, but uh, it was basically saying that there was a guy, um, that lived through it that was on the ship or whatever that he had talked to, and that's what that was his story as well. So, huh? That I have to look it yeah, up a further. Guess, yeah, it was, so, it was pretty interesting to hear. Yeah, that's crazy. So another explanation pins the blame on leftover technology from the mythical lost continent of Atlantis. Sometimes, uh -huh. yeah. Sometimes connected to the Atlantis story is the submerged rock formation known as the Bimini? Bimini? Bimini, Bimini. Road. Huh? Bimini. Bibbity? Bibbity? Bob? Bimini. Bibbity. It's yes. by, by many, you retards. <laughs> <laughs> road. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Dude, you can't say that shit. You're gonna you get can't say. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm can't sorry. Say, you can say mentally handicapped. There you go. All right. Thank I you. don't even think that's. Yeah, I, I, think that's right. I can't keep up, man. I, I think. It's, I know it's too much. There was no special, offense to anyone that needs. has to have yeah special needs out there. I apologize greatly for just. I mean, insolence. You gotta, have to, you gotta have special needs to listen to this fucking mess. That's true. Mm-hmm. So anyway, off the island of Bimini in the Bahamas which is in the triangle, according to some lunatics. Followers of the purported psychic and fellow lunatic, Edgar Case, take his prediction that evidence uh, of Atlanta 
or Atlantis would be found in 1968. Who keeps changing it to Atlanta? I'm going to punch you. That's swear not me. Swear <laughs> That's not me, I swear. Someone keeps changing it to Atlantis <laughs> would be found in 1968. As referring, to, <laughs> as referring to the discovery of the Bimini Road, believers describe the formation as a road, wall, or other structure, but the Bimini Road is a net. But, but whatever, road <laughs> is of natural origin. Other writers attribute the events to UFOs. So Charles Berlitz, author of various books on an, an, an anomalous phenomena, an, anomalous, is that right? Anomalous phenomena? Anomalous. Ano whatever. Yeah. Phenomena lists several theories attributing the losses in the triangle to anomalous or unexplained forces. According to SuperSundayGrannyPantySummary.com, most interesting to Berlitz is that the majority of the missing aircraft. <laughs> now everybody run in at once and Google that. That's Super Sunday <laughs> Granny Panty Summary .com. <laughs> I'm sure it's a domain. <laughs> anyway, most interesting to Berlitz is that the majority of the missing aircraft and ships did not send out distress calls before disappearing, which is true. That's what we talked about with all of those in there. So I do agree with them now on that part. Later searches of the area revealed nothing either. It's as if the crews had never been there. Berlitz believes that this is surely evidence of extraterrestrial interference or at least paranormal activity. He believes that no one can provide a more convincing explanation than his own. There are other theories that Berlitz accepts are plausible. Uh, should we not accept his Atlantis theory? <laughs> gotcha, bitch. He believes that the triangle may be a portal to hell or some other unearthly place. Uh, Similarly, yeah. Similarly, this might be a spot where aliens frequently abduct humans. To Berlitz, the possibilities are endless, even if critics heavily criticize his methodology. If we don't accept his paranormal theories, he hopes we can accept other phenomena cited around the Bermuda Triangle. He reports bizarre lighting around the Bahamas, large sea monsters, little green creatures living on his testicles, glowing <laughs> patches of ocean, and deep hollow abysses. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm posting all of these pictures <laughs> on the details or the information for this podcast. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you got to find it and watch these or look at these. Jesus. So eyewitness accounts support his descriptions. <laughs> As those who have survived their brush with odd phenomena in the area recall feeling as if there is something off and unnatural about it. They also report feeling trapped at a whirlpool or having no recollection of the events, probably because, you know, they're full of shit. Anyway, although he has never seen aliens or UFOs, I mean, shocker, Berlitz believes that they have the technology to interfere with our navigation systems and either steer us off course or make us disappear entirely. Probably with their aluminum PU-36 explosive space modulators. Ooh. Come on, guys. You know where that one's from, right? No? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. He blames tools such as... Uh, I don't know what that is. That's from Bugs Bunny. It's Marvin the Martian. What the hell? Uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, he blames tools such as anti-gravity devices, vortexes, and even crystals he claims to have retrieved from somewhere near the sunken city of Atlantis. Holy shit. <laughs> this dude is literally nuttier than squirrel turds, for sure. Most of these theories have since been debunked against, uh, again, shocker. <laughs> yeah. What is that? <laughs> 
but they are that's, com- a, that's a creature on the testicles. <laughs> <laughs> but they are compelling if read as oh. science fiction. That is a very disturbing picture. Oh my oh, god. Man. So Berlitz <laughs> accepts that many scientists <laughs> do not believe the Bermuda Triangle exists. They are right in the sense that we've coined the term Bermuda Triangle. It's not a naturally formed landscape or ocean. However, Berlitz urges scientists to accept that there is certainly an unusual number of disappearances across this relatively small area compared to the aircraft and ships passing through it unharmed. He also believes that since the Earth is prone to shifts, the borders of the Bermuda Triangle shift over time, which I'll accept that because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're, we're constantly shifting. You know, the poles are shifting, yep. the Earth is shifting. So that, that kind of, you know, it's fucking science. That kind of makes sense. Tectonic plates, bitches. Right, right. So Berlitz concludes by looking at why alien life forms might, uh, excuse me, alien life forms might want to harm us, our development of nuclear weapons. He believes that nuclear technology has been around for much longer than we believe, and we may have affected other planets or civilizations of Atlanta with it. Damn it! Nice. (laughs) Nice, Moody. Of Atlantis with it. Atlantis, son of a bitch. You guys are never getting getting these again, ever. Uh. He also considers the aliens who once inhabited our planet escaped and have now returned to settle again. Does anyone else think this guy is just Chris Ormensky using a pseudonym here? I mean, like, that's what this sounds like to me. It sounds like Chris is over there writing this fucking story out. Is that a fucking shark with horse legs? It's a shark horse. (laughs) Chris Chris wanted me to send that under his name. Why is this happening right now? It's a legendary shark horse. So these theories are largely unsupported by evidence, but he takes them further by suggesting that we are related to these beings. This is another reason why they wish to study us. If there is, say, a portal to another dimension under the sea, then this is where the aliens emerge from, and it is where they take us from this planet to somewhere else. Now, if we're related, they want to, like, what do they want to, all right, Moody, this is way up your alley more than it is mine. Yeah. Walk me through this. Like, what, why, what makes this, how does this even make fucking sense in any way, shape, or form? What do you mean as far as what, what doesn't make sense about it? That the, the aliens are related to us and that's why they're like taking us so they can study us. Like, how, how does that even make sense? Well, I mean, there's that theory that aliens are just us from the future. That they're like a lot of like the grays and stuff we see are like us evolved. Chandler said balls, balls, balls. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Which I've actually touched on before, and I thought I said to myself that that seems to be probably the only. I'll say that if would there be, was a theory. That's the only one I kind of fall for. We talked about that when Moody was on the show back yeah. when he was a guest. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think, kind of I think do... that probably what they would mean as far as being related goes. Other than that, like. I mean, it, it depends on what you what theory, if any, you subscribe to, though, because technically, I mean, there's the theories that we're basically made from their DNA mixed with like monkey DNA. They enhanced it, you know, to create humans, basically. So there's, I, I mean, there's a lot of theories, I guess, of why we could be related or how we're related. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I, I, I guess, why I, would they? Why are they trying to? Supposedly, would make research sense. us if we were if make, they if, if they know who we where they came from, then why? Well, I mean, it's I guess the thing would be is like if if they created us, but not necessarily they're not us evolved like future us evolved, but if they created us, they could be as simple as just wanting to see what the fuck's going on and like 
how we turn from what they made us to where we are now. You know what I mean? Like same okay. as when we capture when we capture animals to see what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, but, but yeah. we're not related to those animals, are we? No, I mean not again, now, but what about later <clears throat> in the future? But I'm saying like they're they could be doing it to us like we do with like fucking monkeys and tigers and shit. You know what I mean? Like okay. we 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 abduct animals every day out of the wild to throw them in zoos and see what the fuck's going on with them. So okay, it could be like okay. this, you know, the same kind of thing. All right, so yeah, you guys are all fucking crazy. Anyway, so on to natural explanations. Okay. As per the always reliable and never fallible Wikipedia, we have the natural explanations. First and foremost, compass variations. Compass problems are one of the, uh, the cited phrases in many triangle incidents, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and we were talking about before how that area, it's possible that it could have it could be messing up compasses and may have some sort of a uh, magnetic pool or something, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, if they're... If they're what, what am I missing? Hold on, let me get a score you know what I'm saying? Like it's a very it's it's possible that that's what could be happening. So, um, while some have theorized that unusual local magnetic anomalies may exist in the area, that's the most logical explanation. Correct. That's what I'm saying. Because Such not- back then, think about it. Those old planes, they flew those planes off of all the instruments, which worked off of compasses. So, right. Probably not paying attention, looking out the window. They're just following a bunch of dials. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm at on that one, but they, they say that such anomalies have never been found. Compasses have natural magnetic variations in relation to the magnetic poles, a fact which navigators have known for centuries. Magnetic compasses uh, north, or magnetic compass north and geographic true north are exactly the same, only for a small number of places. For example, as of 2000, in the United States, only those places on a line running from Wisconsin cheese to the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jeff. Appreciate it. From Wisconsin to the Gulf of Mexico. But the public may not be as informed and think there is something mysterious about a compass's changing across an, an area as large as the triangle, which it naturally will. The next one is the Gulf Stream. So the Gulf Stream is a major surface current, primarily driven by thermohaline circulation that originates in the Gulf of Mexico and then flows through the Straits of Florida into the North Atlantic. In essence, it is a river within an ocean. And like a river, it can and does carry floating objects. It has a maximum surface velocity of about two uh, meters per second or 6.6 feet per second. Yeah. A small plane making a water landing or a boat having an engine trouble can be carried away from its reported position by the current. So that kind of makes sense as well. But what I don't understand is it's saying like a small plane or a boat. These are like big ships that we were talking about. You know what I mean? Like they're big ships and big planes, like that BC three or whatever. Those things yeah. are yeah. fucking huge, dude. And that last one, that at the the tanker, those things are like they're huge. So that one, I don't know if I vote for that one. This one's a very. It would have to be a combination of both, though, because again, back then they were following all the dials and shit, you know, in the dashboard of those planes. So if the magnetic thing was, I don't think the, the current. They'd still follow the magnetic, the coordinates. You know what I mean? They still. I don't think the current would really throw it off. Right, unless it was like a combination you would of see both. It. No, you would well, see it. well, what that's <clears> saying <throat> is the Gulf Stream, the current of the Gulf Stream. Like, if 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 there's like an air, if there's a dis, like a disturbance in the air, and the plane lands in the water, that the Gulf Stream could be carried away. They could carry it away from oh, where it reported okay. being. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're saying that just because it was found like 
50 miles one way that doesn't mean it was off course necessarily right I'm saying that it landed right. it landed in the water where it said but then the current carried it away yeah oh, yeah okay well the next one makes the most plausible like at least close to the most plausible for me other than like we were talking about the uh the compasses and the magnetics and whatnot it's human error one of the most cited explanations in official inquiries as to the loss of any aircraft or vessel is human error obviously Human stubbornness may have caused businessman Harvey Conover to lose his sailing yacht, the Revenock, as he sailed into the teeth of a storm south of Florida on January 1st, 1958. All I heard when I read this was literally, hold my beer. Nice. Could you, could you imagine being out there and be like, I got this? And everyone's like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> we're going to die. Next one, violent weather, which doesn't make sense to me because most of these stories we've discussed said it's been like, clear weather and clear this or whatever. I can imagine some ships getting lost, but when you have clear skies and clear water, this doesn't make any sense. So hurricanes, as I mentioned before, are powerful storms. That's why I wanted to start with this one uh, when I started this whole uh, segment earlier or, or the episode earlier. Hurricanes are powerful storms that form in tropical waters and have historically cost thousands of lives and caused billions of dollars in damage. Again, as I touched at the beginning of this episode, um, the sinking of Francisco de Bobadilla and his Spanish fleet in 1502 <laughs> was the first recorded instance of, of a destructive hurricane. These storms have in the past caused a number of incidents related to the triangle. A powerful downdraft or of cold air out of God's ass was suspected to be a cause in the sinking of Pride of Baltimore on May 14th, 1986. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, that was Moody. He has a answer <laughs> next to it. It was Adam Moody right next to ass. That was not oh, so his is pink and yours is green. Is that what's <laughs> yes. going on here? Oh, now I, I know. Agree. Okay. So the crew of the sunken vessel noted the wind <laughs> suddenly shifted and increased velocity from thirty uh, from 20 miles an hour to 60 to 90 miles an hour. A National Hurricane Center satellite specialist, James Lusheen, stated, quote, during very unstable weather conditions, the downburst of cold air from aloft can hit the surface like a Chipotle burrito with extra hot sauce, exploding <laughs> outward like a giant squall line of wind and water into the toilet at three in the morning. I will take credit for that one because it is <laughs> detailed. Right. See, but actually, James Lusheen was actually saying that those bursts of air can come down and knock shit out of the air. A similar, yeah. uh, similar event occurred to Concordia in uh, 2010 off the coast of Brazil. Scientists are currently investigating whether hexagonal clouds may be the source of these up to 170 mile per hour air bombs. Now, this one is awesome. Methane hydrates. An explanation for some of the disappearance has, uh, has focused on the presence of large fields of methane hydrates, a form of natural gas, on the continental shelves. Now, we're just going to call these fart bombs, just because that <laughs> sounds right to me. So laboratory experiments carried out in Australia have proven that bubbles can indeed sink a scale model ship by decreasing the density of the water. Any wreckage consequently rising to the surface would be rapidly dispersed by the Gulf Stream. It has been hypothesized that periodic fart bombs, sometimes called mud vo volcanoes, that's a serious thing, may produce regions of frothy water that are no longer capable of providing adequate buoyancy for ships. If this were the case, such as an area forming around a ship could cause it to sink very rapidly <laughs> without warning. <laughs> I hate you. So... Publications by the USGS describe large stores of undersea hydrates worldwide, including the Blake Ridge area off the coast of the southeastern United States. 
However, according to the USGS, no large releases of fart bombs are believed to have occurred in the Bermuda Triangle for the past 15,000 years. According to the National Oceanic Still and Atmospheric... That? Huh? What? I was going to say, that was actually... They did, they did that... Uh... They did that test on uh, MythBusters to see if that was uh, if that was something that could happen. And, the whole uh, methane bubble sinking. Did they? Uh, and they were yeah they, they were able to uh, they did it in like a big pool and they were able to sink like uh, I think they had like a canoe and a couple other like little boats that they had in there and using um, using something to like make the bubbles come up they sunk like everything that they put in there. It did sink it. They were able to. It did sink it. Yeah, they basically proved that that if that was. If that's something that happened in a big enough, uh, in a big enough um, area, like cluster, yeah, that uh, it could definitely sink a ship. Damn. So, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, quote, there is no evidence that mysterious disappearances occur with any greater frequency in the Bermuda Triangle than in any other large, well-traveled area of the ocean. End quote. And boaters and flyers continue to venture through the triangle without event. Lloyd's of London, which insures many of the expensive vessels reports that there are no more reports of losses of ships or planes in that area as compared to others. So, do you think you can dance? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> I can dance, dude. <laughs> I got you. I, I'm not scared of you, Jeff. <laughs> you bastard. All right. So, listen. Let's uh, let, let's talk about this real fast, and, uh, and then we'll uh, you know we'll we'll talk about the movies, of course, that are whatever. But uh, well, you know what? Let's go into the movies now. Well, can we can we discuss Amelia Earhart real quick, just to clear? Of that course, up? I was always under the assumption that she disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. I'm sure a lot of people are too. Uh, no, actually, so I was doing that because I thought that too. I was under the assumption that Amelia Earhart was one of the ones that went out there, and she ended up. Uh, what was it? 1940 something, uh, Moody. Uh, 19. She left. Um, she left in 1937. 1937. Okay, so she, she flew out and she was trying to do. Uh, what, was she just trying to uh, just go she across? Was circum- a record? Was navigate the globe. Yeah, she was yeah, trying to go all the way around the world. She was going to be the first woman to do so, and then they lost contact of her. She actually got. Um, they say she was over the Pacific Ocean when it happened, not the Atlantic. Correct. So she was actually not around the Bermuda Triangle area when that actually took. Whenever she went down. At least that's the uh, last recorded um, they, they heard from her. You know what I mean? Yeah, so they, she, uh, she disappeared over the Central Pacific near Howland Island. Maybe she's on that island. So where well, the hell is the, the Central Pacific Howland? Where's Howland Island at? Uh, is that Howland, H-O-W? H-O-W-L-A-N-D. If only we had computers with Google in front of us. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Shut up, I'm doing it. <laughs> it's an uninhabited island just north of the equator in the central Pacific Ocean, roughly 1,700 yeah, 1700 nautical miles southwest of Honolulu. Oh, okay. We should buy it if it's Basically, uninhabited. Let's buy the island, uh, dude. It says it lies almost halfway between Hawaii and Australia. It looks like a kidney bean. Yeah, it's not very big. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break for one of our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Bermuda Triangle movies. This episode of the Midnight Train podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Vodka, 20 times distilled, made from pure cane sugar and handcrafted right here in Ohio. Vodka can be smooth, and Voodoo proves it. Drink it straight, chilled, or in your favorite mixed drink. 
Ask for it wherever you buy your favorite liquors or head over to voodoo.com and subscribe to their mailing list. While you're there, pick up some Voodoo merchandise and use the promo code Midnight Train Podcast, all one word, to get 10% off your entire order. That's Voodoo, V O U D O U X dot com. Promo code Midnight Train Podcast for 10% off. And you can now buy this delicious vodka online. So order some today and drink with us whenever you listen to the show. Voodoo Vodka, it's magic. All right, so we're talking about the top 10. Bermuda Triangle movies, according to, of course, IMDb.com, which one of these days I'm going to figure out their algorithms, but for now, we're just going to go through it. So, number 10 from 2001, it's a TV movie called Lost Voyage. It's uh, 4.7 stars out of 1,694 votes, and... Jeez. It says 25 years ago, the SS Corona. Whoa. Uh oh. Whoa. Dude, that's fucking creepy. The SS Corona um, Queen um, disappeared in the region known as the Bermuda Triangle. Now it has returned. Seven people go on board to learn the truth behind her disappearance, but the ship did not return alone. Ho, 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 ho. Wow. That sounds. It's got Judd Nelson in it. Judd Nelson, yeah. And Lance, and Lance Hendrickson. Oh, I love Lance Hendrickson. Dude, it's I might Bishop. have to find this. Love Lance Hendrickson, dude. He's been that, he was in Pumpkinhead. It was a TV movie. Yeah. He's also the dude from uh he's the fucking uh the android and alien. Yeah. Yeah, that's Bishop. what he just said. Bishop, yeah. Oh, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Dude, keep up. Anyway, number oh, nine. <laughs> number nine, 1998 <laughs> TV movie, three point two stars. <laughs> Out of 285 votes. How is that above the... No, I don't get it. Anyway, this one is called Lost in the Bermuda Triangle. A couple on a romantic... Wonder what that is. <laughs> a couple on a romantic cruise sail into the Bermuda Triangle where the wife disappears, the husband... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Just read, 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 read that real fast. <laughs> it's like Moody texting uh, to us. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A couple on a romantic cruise sail into the Bermuda Triangle where the wife disappears. The husband might prove his innocence. <laughs> it says, my prove his wow. innocence when the authorities suspect foul play. Okay. Tom Verica, Charlotte Damble. Shut up. That's a horrible one. We're getting rid of that one. All right. The next one. Number eight, Escape from Atlantis. 3.4 stars. Three, uh, 399 yeah, votes. They're like going down. Oh, man, the summary. Oh, this is a good one. You guys ready? Escape from Atlantis, 1997 TV movie. A world unlike any you've ever known. Matt Spencer, a workaholic attorney and single father, is struggling to raise his three rebellious teenagers in the wake of his wife walking out on him. Chris Spencer, Matt's eldest, is a handsome, overachieving, straight-laced 18-year-old <laughs> who is angry with his father about the divorce, even though his mother is the one who left. Daughter Claudia is a typical 16-year-old mall rat with too much time on her hands and the good looks that usually spell trouble. Youngest son Adam is a hip 13-year-old with a big mouth and a smart aleck attitude to go along with it. In an attempt to bring his family together, Matt charters a sailboat for a 10-day surprise cruise to the Bahamas. The kids, selfishly unexcited about the trip, try to talk their father out of it, but he is steadfast in his determination to spend some quality time together. Upon landing in Florida, the Spencers arrive at the dock to board the Wind Dancer, a beautiful 90-foot sailboat that, according to the brochure, perfectly combines, quote, performance sailing and luxury living. Not quite. 
It turns out to be a rundown yet still seaworthy schooner, complete with mildewy sails and a hull that is in desperate need of a paint job. The ship's captain, Liam Gallagher, is a salty, bedraggled man who drinks too much and seems to be in worse shape than his, this vessel. Isn't that the dude from Oasis? Yes, that's the dude from Oasis. <laughs> Not one to be deterred. Matt, having been convinced that Wind Dancer has passed a recent safety inspection, sets off with his family on a bigger adventure than any of them had planned. Who the fuck wrote this summary? Because they, they basically worded the whole movie. I don't have to watch it. Now. Um, his name is not, it's Brendan Hill. That's who wrote it. It's not really a summary of anything. Yeah. Hey, pretty much just told us what it was. But does that look? And Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. There's a magic unicorn on the cover. Oh my god, dude! What is that little guy? <laughs> He's a merkin. What? The I don't know fuck? what that is. Oh my He's god! He's a merkin. <laughs> so this one is uh, number seven: Secrets of the Bermuda Triangle, nineteen ninety six TV movie, six hundred and seven votes, four point eight stars. After a strange storm in the Caribbean, TV movie. yeah, they are all TV movies. After a strange storm in the Caribbean causes a boat to sink, a family finds itself stranded on an island in the twenty seventh dimension. Literally what it says. Wow. <laughs> That's old. Dude, this, this next one looks amazing to me. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. 1979. Not rated. Action adventure mystery. Mystery in the Bermuda Triangle. But that is the Americanized version. The actual name of it is Mysterio in Las Bermudas. Ooh. Yeah. Beautiful Sylvia and Sandra disappear mysteriously in the Bermuda Triangle. Santo... Blue Demon and Mil Moscaros go into action to try to find them. Soon they find out that evil scientist Dr. Grow has developed a device, a device to make people and objects to disappear, blaming the famous vanishings of ships, airplanes, and human beings on Mother Nature. Do you notice Dude, something here? Do you notice every time all, we review the movies? They're all fucking luchadors. There's always, there's always a luchador movie in everything yeah. we cover. Yep, there's always, always one. In the 70s, too. It's 109 yeah. votes, 5.2 stars. I mean... Not too bad. I, I gotta start. I gotta start watching luchador movies. I think. Yeah, I think we all should. That is a drunken movie review in itself. Absolutely. Fuck yeah, dude. Number five, the Bermuda Triangle from 1978. Again, Moody, what's it about? <laughs> uh, I think it's about Bigfoot, but I'm not sure yet. It's possibly right. So out of 924 votes, 4.2 percent or stars. Sorry, the passengers and crew of a boat on a summer cruise. In the Caribbean, stray near the famed Bermuda Triangle, and mysterious things start to happening. Look at, Wait. Look at the picture on the fucking poster. And this one's called <laughs> it's called El Triangolo del Bermuda. Bermude? 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 <laughs> Whatever. I'm horrible at that. I suck. Number Whoa. four. Oh, I can watch it on Prime Video. I can watch that. I'll watch that tonight. <laughs> there you go. This one, 1978's TV movie. Oh, dude, is it on Prime Video? Yeah. It's yeah. right here on the bottom. Moody, your job is to watch that and let us know how it was okay. on the secret group that our passengers are a part of. You have to do that. All right. I'll, I'll watch it tonight. Awesome. Perfect. Number, number four, <laughs> 1978 TV movie, of course. The Bermuda Depths. Scientists investigating the briny deep are threatened wait, by wait, the wait, wait, wait. Real quick. <laughs> Can we just acknowledge the fact that everybody's in like lockdown quarantine? And Moody has kids and his wife in the house, and he's going to force them all to watch this movie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> his kids are probably like, we want to watch the new Star Wars. And Moody's like, no, we're watching the Bermuda Triangle. He, he's like, no, 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 wait, wait. We're watching <laughs> El Triangolo del Bermuda. Yeah. 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 They can, oh, if man. they don't like it, they can fucking suck it. 
<laughs> so the Bermuda Depths. Oh my god. 597 votes. 6.1 stars. Scientists investigating the Brady. Oh, I already said what it was. Yeah, oh wait, no. It says are threatened by a giant turtle and the spirit of a young brunette swimmer in the Bermuda Triangle. What Ooh, the fuck? That sounds amazing. Dude, look at the cover. They're like riding the turtle and there's like a Yeah. It's like a hand drawn, like it looks like the cover of a smut book that my mother used to read. <laughs> with yeah. the dude's shirt all ripped open and looking like Fabio. Um, number three, 1977's The Fantastic Journey. All right. This one has a uh, 418 votes, 7.2 stars. A scientific expedition in the Atlantic Ocean becomes lost in the Bermuda Triangle and washes up on uncharted I on an uncharted island. Sorry, I can't talk today, folks. This is the highest rated movie out of the whole list, too. Yeah. They meet up with travelers a, from other time. Say what? Yet it's only number three on the list. Right. Yeah. They meet up with travelers from other times, planets, and dimensions who have also become trapped. And together they slide through portals from one dimension to the <laughs> next, know. hoping to find the one that leads <laughs> home. <laughs> Wait, what kind of movie is this? <laughs> this one is not on Prime. <laughs> uh, number two, Beyond the Bermuda Triangle, 1975 TV movie. A retired businessman notices that there has been a rash of ships and planes disappearing off the Florida coast, and he starts to investigate. And, yes, it stars Fred McMurray. Do we know who that is? Nope. Is that the dude from... Uh... That's... Yeah. Whatever. I can't whistle. But um, what's it called? Uh, Andy Griffith. No, he wasn't. He's not Andy Griffith. Yeah. Is he Andy Griffith? Pretty sure that's Andy Griffith. No. No. Pretty sure Andy Griffith was fucking Andy Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I'm like, wait a minute. He was in, sorry. He, dude, he, he was wasn't he in the monsters? No. <laughs> Hold on, oh I'm dying. God. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. Oh, he was in my three sons back in the my day. My three sons. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know Andy Griffith. He's Andy. Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> oh man this has been a long episode fellas all right uh number one <laughs> 1975 tv movie shocker satan's triangle uh 770 votes uh, 6.3 stars a u.s coast guard finds only a woman still alive aboard a shipwreck she tells her rescuer what happened to and soon they find themselves trapped in a mysterious part of the ocean known as Satan's Triangle. <laughs> nice. Anyway, that's that's the movies for this uh, episode, guys. Okay, Those are the top ten Bermuda Triangle movies. Okay, yeah. now, None of them look good at all. To be hey, fair, yeah. if you go up to number 13, you have Scooby-Doo Pirates Ahoy. Oh. No, I didn't see that. That should be number one. Uh, Gulliver's Travels is on the list. The Jack Black version of Gulliver's yeah. Governor's, Gull yeah. Governor, Governor's, Governor's Travels. Yeah. Governor's Travels. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's horrible. None of those movies son. But you have to watch that one tonight. That's your job. Uh, yeah, I'll see, I'll, I'll see what I can do, man, for sure. All right, good. So now, we have come to the my favorite spot of the entire episode, and uh, or every episode. It's, uh, it's Jeff Hates It All. Yay. <laughs> Jeff, what do you hate today buddy so because everybody's in a rough way right now you know 
no jobs, no income, sick, locked in the house. I figured we'd do some a little uplifting this time. Rather than, I mean, full-on hating everything every week, I figure this week we'll do something nice for people, right? Okay. So Evan's cousin Mark, okay? And I know he has a cousin Chandler that we met today, but he also has a cousin Mark. He sent us his comedy reel from his Netflix special. How are we doing tonight? Man, I just flew in from New York. And boy, my arms are tired. Oh, stop. You guys are too great. Wow, what an audience. What did the drummer call his twin daughters? Anna one, Anna two. Did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change color? He had a reptile dysfunction. Want to hear a joke about construction? I'm still working on it. What does a nosy pepper do? It gets jalapeno business. Why did the picture go to jail? Because it was framed. Okay, okay. One more than I got get off the stage. What do you call a man with a rubber toe? Roberto. Oh, stop. You guys are too great. Wow, what an audience. And I'm magical. back. Okay, yes. So we just listened to it. <laughs> magical. It's magical. And we're probably laughing our butts off right now. And it was probably amazing as it always is. So listen, we want to thank you guys so much for listening. We got closing thoughts on this stuff. And what do we what do we think about this whole Bermuda Triangle thing here, fellas? Here's the thing that I find odd. So all this shit happened way back in the day. Nothing ever happens recently. You notice that? Right. Now that, now that we have the technology, no, that's, that's, we can fly no, like... That's not true at all, though. A lot of those, there were some of those phones from like 2012. There's, I was reading about shit that happened like 2017. Yeah, Jeff, what the fuck? 2018. Like, Wait a there's, second. There's, there's definitely recent events, man. You know what? I was busy editing the notes, so I didn't get to pay attention that much. Of course okay. you didn't. Way to go, butthole. <laughs> Way to go, butthole. <laughs> no, I mean, there was. Uh, but I'm just saying, there's no to... famous like. Hey, uh, I got a GoPro. Check this out. I'm going to go fly right through it. I, you don't see any of that. Well, I think what happens is, and this is just me thinking logically here, is I do believe that, I mean, there, even though a lot of the stuff hasn't been proven, like I said, my number one thing was just human error. I think people went out there, whether the uh, seas were too, you know, heavy for them, or if something happened or somebody didn't drop the anchor where they needed to. And like you just said that it was like longer, or not longer, <laughs> deeper than what, like, what, what did we say earlier that it's one of the deepest spots in the ocean or something like that? Or yeah. at least in that area. So, like, you know, if you're trying to throw stuff over, not stuff, but the anchor over, and you can't grab on anything, and all of a sudden you get washed away because of the current and stuff. I mean, I don't know. It just sounds to me like there's a, a there's all kinds of things that went down there. But if they're saying that there's nothing more than any place else in the, in the world, then, I mean, I don't know. But then again, they lie to us every day. Whatever. <laughs> that's true. That that's my thing, Moody. What do you think? 
Ay, ano si... Ay, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you call me the yarn, my bad. <laughs> Dude, okay, That's amazing. Full clarification. Okay. Okay. I am laying on a seven-year-old's bunk bed right now. Whoa. All right, in a dark room. Your kid's bunk with nobody bed, right? around. Okay, yeah. just making sure we clarify that for all the listeners. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm uh and and it's it's more comfortable than my fucking bed and I'm very tired right now. <laughs> uh, so what do you and, think uh, about you know, this? What do you think about the Bermuda Triangle? Uh, I mean, honestly, uh I feel like I would love it if it was a supernatural explanation, obviously. That would be my my thing. Uh I really enjoy like <laughs> 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 oh. oh well, what were you saying? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it hurts. It hurts my chest. Uh, oh, my chest. I was saying, I was saying that uh, I like, I actually like the wormhole idea. Uh, I think that would be, as far as like the paranormal stuff goes, I think that that would be a great, uh, a great explanation if it were real. But uh, honestly, man, I, I think that you could chalk most of it up to just natural occurrences or, or, human error like they said you know right yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at and too so we would love to know what all of our passengers think out there we'd like to know obviously everyone's heard about the bermuda triangle at least most of you guys have it'd be nice to hear what your thoughts are especially after all the information and i know there was a lot of information but there is a there was a lot of accidents and and disappearances and things that have went down like we you know what i mean we could have literally done a three-part series on this because of all the different shit that was out there so I would love to know what you guys think out there. Um, so please hit us up. Uh, you can email us. Would <laughs> <laughs> you guys stop? <laughs> email us listen, at. Listen, we hope you guys laughed as much as we did listening to this. And if you don't get it, John will post all the the pictures that we've been basically sending to each other while trying to be serious throughout this whole thing. And that's why we've been laughing so much. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Not gonna lie. Um, it's good yeah, times. Send us an email over to the Midnight Train Podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you guys think. Or hit us up on social media. We're all over the place. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, join our uh, Facebook group. Um, it's the Midnight Train Podcast group, I think is what it's called. Jeff, is that right? It's just, is that what it is? Or? Yeah. Okay. You yeah, can forum. find Midnight Train Podcast group forum. Yeah. Forum, yeah. Group forum. Okay. Yeah. You guys can jump on there. Um, obviously, we pretty much accept everyone in there, but there's a couple of secret questions you have to answer. So make sure that you guys do that. And uh, you know what I mean? That way we can keep in contact. Now, listen, we have decided to pull the trigger and buy that amazing Randy Podmore mask that we've been talking about for so long. Oh, I definitely, nice. yeah. That's I awesome. De- <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to thank uh, our good friend Kevin for setting that whole thing up. Um, I'm going to get in touch with him. And we want to thank you all for donating, for all of you awesome people that actually donated to do this. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a list of all the contributors when we get the mask in our sanitizer wrinkled hands, right? So we'll have that for you guys. Um, So passengers, we really hope you enjoyed this ride with us on the Bermuda Triangle. Don't forget to head on over to the Midnight Train podcast and sign up for the Midnight Bonus Train to access all kinds of awesome tidbits you won't get anywhere else. At our website, you can buy some super sweet merchandise, <laughs> and we will donate 10% of every sale to the National Association on Mental Illness, because, you know, mental illness is not a laughing matter. Also, sign up to our group on Facebook. Like I said, it's a great chance for us to all get together, and don't forget to send us your greeting cards. 
We will read them on every episode. And make sure to send those creepy little <laughs> items. What in the hell is that? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's the best one. Is that an x-ray of a dude's junk, but as junk as the head of an eagle with an American flag on it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, please oh make sure god. to send those creepy little items you guys want us to uh, put all over the, the train station <laughs> to the Midnight Train Podcast, P.O. Box 38206, Olmstead Falls, Ohio, 44. One, three, eight. And listeners keep asking how they can keep the steam in our engines. Well, the best thing you can do is like, subscribe, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Most importantly, please share the Midnight Train to everyone you meet, everyone you know. <laughs> Obviously, right now, you're not really meeting a whole lot of people unless it's online. Um, word of mouth is how we're going to get more passengers and keep this train moving, man. Um, and we'd love to get you more content, but it does take a long time to get all this together on uh, from Jeff's standpoint of doing his parts and then mine with the, the research. Now I have help with, you know, Moody helping out and stuff. It really does take a lot of time. And then the whole post-production, whatever we, we want to make this the best show you guys listen to. So, and obviously we have a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can't thank you guys enough for all of the love and support we've received. You guys really do keep us moving. And thank you so much for listening next week. We're going to be talking about dun, 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 the Mansfield Reformatory. Reformatory. <laughs> ah. The Mansfield Reformatory, located right here in Ohio. Is it really haunted? Do the halls contain the haunted remnants of really horrible music played by even shittier bands? Let's find out. Like Next Godsmack. Week. That's right. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying I'm not saying names. There might be Godsmack listeners out there. So That's each true. their own. So listen, we want to honestly up. say, you guys, stay safe out there. Keep your hands clean. Sneeze in your elbows. Stay at home if you need to stay at home. If you have to go out, be smart about it. And uh, you know yeah, what? send each huh? other retarded. Send each other retarded gifts. That's fine. That's it. That literally. Yeah. That's that's what this has been pretty much the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but this has been probably one of the more fun episodes that we've had. And uh, yeah, I want to Jeff. Anything you want to say? No, just wash your hands for Christ's sake. Right, Moody. <laughs> I. I I don't really have anything right now. <laughs> I got, I did got, the eagle? Did the eagle um, throw you off, Moody? I've got. Did I, I win the gift eagle, competition? I've got eagle flag erections in my brain right now. <laughs> All right, Something passengers. Crazy. I'm sorry. We love you guys so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If not, <laughs> listen. We'll be back to normal as soon as everything else is back to normal. Yes. All right. So from everybody here, stay safe out there, passengers, and as always. Choo-choo, motherfuckers! Chandler said toodaloo. (laughs) (laughs) 